0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. ...of faith. And Lord, I just thank you that you are a risen Lord. Uh, In fact, you're here with us right now, God. May you speak to us. Through the power of your living word and uh, by the prompting and the infilling of your Holy Spirit, may your word just resonate in us. It really is so exciting after a couple of years. Uh, it does feel like, and it's certainly the, the uh, sense uh, that seems to be pervading the church in Australia if with all the pastors that I talk to, that things are starting to wake up again. And as things begin to wake up again... We've got to realize as God's people, we need to re-engage again. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Dan brought a great message called The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, uh, this message for today was already very much underway. And it's amazing how much today's message is kind of a part two of Pastor Dan's message last week. So God's wanting to get our attention. And uh, as the world wakes up, As church life wakes up, as our programming kicks into gear again, we've got to realize there are opportunities for us to live our lives so intentionally on mission. Now we should be doing that as God's people anyway. We should be living every moment of every day on mission saying, God, by your Holy Spirit, just prompt me that I would live my life well for you. There's an interesting passage in the book of Revelation that I want to start off with today. And it's a judgment against the church in Sardis. And in Revelation 3 and 1, we read this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. That's a pretty big judgment, isn't it? I know your deeds, you've got a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Imagine getting that letter. Next week, uh, our church turns 18. Can you believe that? Who was there on day one? Oh, a few hands around the place. It's interesting because we have very much progressed from being a young church plant to being a very well-established church. And now we have our own building even more so. And there are some dangers, history tells us, that we need to be very much aware of and guard against as we are now an established church. Here are some of those dangers and these are played out in history. There is a danger of moving from being outward looking to being inward looking. Secondly, there is a danger of, being move, of moving from being God-centred or gospel-centred to becoming need-centred and human-centred. There is a danger of moving from being a living body, which is one description of the church in the New Testament, to becoming a well-managed organisation. Number four, there is a danger of moving from being spirit dependent, totally dependent on the Spirit of God to becoming self-sufficient. Number five, there is a danger of moving our thinking from the revelation of God's Word, biblical revelation, to human reasoning. And in fact, I read just uh, probably about a week ago a really interesting comment that said so often the contemporary church is guilty of uh, placing a greater emphasis on ideology than we do theology. And uh, there's some power in that. But here's the thing. All of these problems actually have existed in the church since the very early church, since the first century church. Now Jesus' words in Matthew 28 and 18 were very clear. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, always. To the very end of the age. These are Jesus' words to his disciples in church history. We've come to call it the Great Commission. And I imagine when Jesus said to to his disciples, Guys, have you got any questions around what I've just said? The disciples probably said, no, 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 it's really, really clear. We understand. Mark records another occasion when Jesus appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem. This is after he was resurrected. So this is the risen Jesus. Mark 16 and 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Guys, is that plain? Have I made that clear? Absolutely, Jesus. You couldn't be clearer. Luke 24, 45. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins Will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Guys, did you get that? Yeah, totally, Jesus, absolutely. Fully understand. In John 20 and 21, Jesus said again to his disciples, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Okay, guys, have you got it? Yes, Jesus, we have. You are sending us on mission. And then on the day of His ascension, the day that that risen Jesus finally ascends to be with His Father. He said this in Acts 1 and 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guys, is there anything unclear about this message? And if you went to the disciples after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, and if you had said to them, Hey guys, you walked with Jesus for three years. You witnessed His miracles. You, you, you heard firsthand his teaching. You were obviously totally devastated by the events surrounding his crucifixion, but then wonderfully, wonderfully in awe of seeing the resurrected Christ. And now you have spent the last 40 days with the risen Jesus himself, but now he's gone back to his Father. Disciples, tell me what happens next? What's the agenda now? And with all the instruction that Jesus had given to the disciples when he spent time with them, the answer should have been really, really easy. They should have said, well, it's Pretty plain. We are to preach the gospel to the whole world. We're to make disciples of all nations. We're to start exactly where we are here in Jerusalem. And then we are to expand that circle of influence, preaching the gospel eventually out to the ends of the earth. And the cool thing is we don't have to do that in our own strength. Jesus has promised the enabling and the infilling of his Holy Spirit who is going to empower us in about 10 days time to do what we can't do in our own strength. And we had to wait in Jerusalem until that day happens. That should have been the plain answer. That wasn't the answer that they would have given because they were still confused. Friends, the instruction that Jesus gave to the disciples was pretty clear. The mission was very, very clear. And the question for us today that we must ask ourselves as a community of faith and a family of believers for those of us this morning who are Christian Are we equally as clear about the call upon our lives? Are we equally clear about the mission that God has set before us? Do we as a church have the same clarity in our mind, in our thinking, in our heart, in our actions? Do we know why God has put us on this planet? And if I was to ask you this morning, why is it we gather in this place every Sunday morning? What's the primary reason we do that we would get a variety of what I would suggest would be pretty predictable answers. But I pray the most common one would be this. I just want to grow in maturity of faith so that I can live my life well, representing Jesus well, get to know the heart of my Father, that I would go on mission and live my life before men and just shine the light of the gospel. Acts 1 and 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's the mission. There's only three responses that we can give to a command like that. I can't. I won't or I will. I can't think of any other responses. They're the only three that I can come up with. The can't is really, really understandable and super common. It's the response most of us give when we feel a prompting to be stepping out in faith and trusting God that he's going to use me in a certain way or in a particular environment. And again, nothing new. You read through Scripture and it is the single most, almost exclusively the number one response people gave when God called to people. They'd say, I I can't do this. When God called to Abraham and said, Abraham, from you will come an heir, will come a son, from that son will come a nation, that nation will bless the world. Abraham says, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm too old and my wife is worn out. I can't. But we know God did. Moses, when God called to Moses from the burning bush and gave him his assignment, Moses says, you got the wrong guy, God. It's not me. I can't. Joshua said, I can't. David said, I can't. Jeremiah, the prophet to the nation of Israel said, I can't speak, God. And you can go through Scripture and find the same response over and over and over again. Even in the New Testament, guys like Peter saying, I can't do this. And most of us identify with that absolutely completely. And we are uncertain in and of ourselves that we've actually got what it takes. That we have the capacity, that we have the skill to do anything of great benefit for God's kingdom. But the cool thing is when Jesus gives the the great commission to his disciples, he actually addresses the I can't issue. Again, Matthew 28 and 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, is beautifully bookended by these two phrases that show us how that's actually going to be accomplished. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So Jesus says, says, the authority is not yours. The authority is mine. And at the end, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, I am going to be the authority and I am going to be the source of the power that you need. And this is the great thing. Jesus is not saying, hey, guys, I'm about to ascend to my father here's the command, here's the mission of the church, see you later. No, Jesus is saying, I've given you a commission, but the authority and the power comes from the Spirit of God working in and through you. Jesus is saying, I am intimately involved in this process. I am with you. I will be doing this in and through you. You are not on your own. And we've got to know that. The devil would love for us to think, We're trying to do this in our own strength and capacity. And this is the whole reason the Holy Spirit was promised on the day of Pentecost. To fill believers, to fill the church with the power that we need to be the living body of Christ. Jesus said to his disciples in John 20 and 21, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So how did the Father send Jesus? And we've got to know that Jesus, the man, lived his life in total dependence on the Father. He constrained himself to be one of us. He'd never exercised his deity. He constrained his life to living as a man in total dependence upon his Father. John 5 and 30, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. John 5 and 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father's doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And friends, get a hold of this. We must never separate the responsibility given to the church From the resources given to the church. God gives us a responsibility, but He also gives us the resources we need to accomplish that task. Can I hear an amen this morning? The responsibility is that we must go. The resources are, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your source of authority and ability. And so the response, God, I can't, is true in the sense that within our own resources, we can't do it. But what, what the Bible says very, very clearly is we can't, but Jesus can. Praise God. It is Jesus who can if we surrender to Him, if we obey Him and if we trust Him. The source is not our ability. It is Christ at work in us and through us by the Holy Spirit. So friends, if our response to God's call as we live our lives on mission is I can't, You've got to know God can deal with that, which leaves only two other responses. I won't or I will. Now, I started off by saying some of the um, cautions that we need to be aware of as an established church, some of the issues that we need to be aware of were common even in the early church. And I want to just put a spotlight on something that perhaps most of us have missed in the early days of the church. Acts 1 and 8 again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we love reading about the explosive growth that took place in the early church. And in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, the gospel explodes in Jerusalem. And then it spreads to Judea and then it spreads up to Samaria and beyond. And we think that is absolutely fantastic. But there's really, really clear evidence as you dig into the text that they fell into the trap that churches often fall into and we need to be careful about of staying within our comfort zone. Now, why do I say that the early church fell into that trap with all of this explosive growth? Well, as you read the book of Acts, the first seven chapters all take place in Jerusalem. We don't know how long that would have been, but it was not a short span of time. It would have been a number of years. And sure enough, in Acts chapter 2, as Jesus had promised, they received the power of the Holy Spirit and they were witnesses in Jerusalem and they preached the gospel, and thousands were saved, and the church exploded into being. In Acts chapter 2, they preached the gospel in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 3, they were witnesses in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 4, they were witnesses in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 5, they were witnesses in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 6, they were witnesses in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 7, they were witnesses in Jerusalem. And it's kind of like the wheels were spinning, but they weren't going anywhere. And they're kind of settling into a comfort zone. And this is not just a matter of weeks or months. This is years that this was going on. And they're still in Jerusalem. They're still in phase one. And I imagine... In those early days of the church in Jerusalem, it would have been pretty, pretty exciting because if you were a Christian in Jerusalem at that time, you could have the Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, the Apostle Peter preaching on uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, you could have John preaching Sunday night. You could have James leading the youth. You could have Mary Magdalene leading the kids' ministry. You could have Mary, the mother of Jesus, leading the Thursday night prayer meeting. I mean, you wouldn't want to go anywhere else. You certainly wouldn't go out to to hostile Samaria. It's a pretty vibey place to be. I want to stay here. And then what happened? God had to disturb their comfort. And one of the best men in the church at the time, Stephen, was stoned to death. And there was the wake up call. Acts 8 tells us on verse 1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And there's what we call the Acts 1-8, Acts 8-1 principle. In Acts 1 and 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. Acts 8 and 1, when the persecution broke out, they were driven into Judea and into Samaria. And you got to know that the early church, the New Testament church, was a persecution-driven church. It was actually persecution that drove them into obedience. God had to allow the church to be persecuted before it actually got on with the job God had called them to do. And I really, really hope that as a church, I hope for the church in Australia that we get this right before God's got to get our attention in other ways. And yet we see the beginnings of it. And in the context of our own culture, the Christian faith is being mocked. It's being ridiculed. We are becoming increasingly marginalised and increasingly In our own cultural context, we will face persecution. And here's a question for all of us this morning Do you have in your Christian life and in your Christian walk an imaginary line that says, I'll go this far but no further? That's a sobering question. I'm really happy to be a Christian. I'm so thrilled for what Jesus has done for me. And I'm really happy to go to that point, but I'm not going to go any further. Is there a line like that? Let me tell you, if there is, we will never fulfill the mission and the call to mission that is upon us. We will never, ever be a church that will turn our world upside down. Friends, what does it mean to be a disciple? Pastor Dan spoke beautifully into that last Sunday. The cost of discipleship. Because when Jesus first called to his disciples, he didn't give them some big elaborate plan and timeline of what that was going to look like and how they were going to accomplish what he was calling them to. He just said, give up your life, follow me. had no idea what that entailed are you willing to leave everything and follow me and as the life of those disciples play out both biblical and historical record would suggest the only one of those 12 disciples that saw old age was perhaps john Friends, your Christian life is not some kind of eternal insurance policy. Well, I've said yes to Jesus, so I know I'm going to heaven when I die and I'll just get on and do whatever I want. It's a call. Paul wrote in Acts 20 and 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In fact, Paul later gives a report to the church in Corinth and he says this. I think we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. 5 times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus 1. 3 times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 3 times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers." I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I have heard so many people over 30 years of ministry just saying, Oh, wouldn't it be so good? To be living in in that first century environment of the early church wouldn't have been so good. It's like, really? You must be reading just the good bits. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. In 22 of them, the church and Christians are being persecuted. Sometimes by the world around them. Sometimes by the Jewish community out of which Christianity was birthed. Sometimes from within the Christian community itself. But there was great persecution going on. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a man who was totally willing to pay the price. Friends, what kind of Christian life are we willing to live? Because the book, the story in the book of Acts... Is actually an unfinished story and people sometimes make the comment that when you read the book of Acts it finishes really abruptly it just kind of stops like there's something missing and there's there's a lot of conjecture around why that might be the case but I'd suggest perhaps one of the reasons why it finishes abruptly is because it's not finished And the story of the book of Acts is not just the story of the Pauls and the Lukes and the Peters and the Silases and the Barnabases. But it's now the Georges and the Dan's and the Rose's and the Jeff's and the Wilths. I'm not going to call you all by name. And the story that was launched in the book of Acts continues today. But we've got to see ourselves as people living on mission. I'm going to ask the team to come back. And you and I today share the same responsibility as those early disciples, those apostles. To take the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And the same resources that God used throughout the book of Acts. The same resources he uses today the Holy Spirit indwelling men and women and living out in them and through them the life of Jesus and doing in and through us, friends, the work of Jesus. Amen? Men and women who recognise, as Paul did, as he wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 1 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I wonder how that applies to you and me this morning. We, by the grace of God, will perhaps never ever face the kind of persecution that Paul experienced in his life and in his ministry. But I wonder if we are truly prepared to die to ourselves, to die to our personal agenda, to die to other people's expectations of us, to die to materialism, to die to greed to die to an attitude that says, I'll serve God when it suits me and when I have the time to do it. But when I'm busy, when I'm pressed for time, when there's so many things demanding my attention and my time, my commitment to God and to the church is the first thing to go. And I ask you this morning, is that your kind of Christianity? is the kind of Christianity that we've been talking about today too much. If it's too much, I encourage you, just settle back, get comfortable, and make the best of a dull, boring Christian life, because that's all it will be at best. because the richness of our relationship with God, the blessings of God begin to fill us to overflowing when you come to that point of actually dying to yourself, actually dying to your own agenda, dying to your own interests. And friends, let me be really honest as we close this morning. When God called Kerry and I to plant this church 18 years ago, the intent was never to settle into a nice little rural seaside area of Tasmania. What a great place to plant a church. And I'll just settle into some kind of, you know, lovely, relaxed little pastoral role in a little rural community setting. That'll be just perfect. Friends, that was never going to be it. If that's the job, forget it. Because I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change lives. And the call upon the church is to be the continuing continuing presence of Jesus and the continuing power of Jesus in the world today. And the reason that Kerry and I have been passionate advocates of the ministry of compassion for over 30 years now is because we have seen the power of the gospel to transform lives and communities. To see hundreds and thousands of children released from poverty in Jesus' name. The reason that I say goodbye to my family and get on a plane so frequently and have done for the last 30 years And traveling all over the world, visiting developing nations, is because I love to equip and inspire and to see leaders trained and to see churches reaching their communities because I believe in the power of the gospel to transform villages and towns and communities and cities and even nations. At a local level, the reason I sit on the Central Coast uh, Central Connect Leadership Roundtable is because I want to sit with community stakeholders. I want to sit with uh, non-government agencies and, and local council representatives and be there representing Jesus in that forum to carry, as Paul says, the aroma of Christ into those meetings. To be the voice of the church as we collaboratively respond to expressed community needs. The reason I now sit on the board of New Mornings. Give us a shout out for New Mornings. Yeah, look, that's, it's all our volunteers. How cool is that? The reason I now sit on the board of New Mornings is because I see a wonderful opportunity and a collaboration to help guide a ministry that is at the coalface of one of the greatest identified and growing crises in the world today. That is the pandemic of mental illness And mental health challenges. And in that space, we can see the power of Jesus to transform lives. Amen? The reason I sit on the state executive of Australian Christian churches is I want to see the church growing and thriving in our state. I want to see our pastors resilient, and I want to see the next generation of church leaders raised up. Because I believe in the power of Jesus to change lives. Friends, hear my heart. I say none of that to boast today. I say it only to frame this question. What are you giving your life to? And I pray that you would discover that sense of calling, that sense of purpose, that sense of power and the energy and the excitement that comes from stepping out in faith and saying, God, I will, because I believe that's the only response to the great command and the great commission. God, I will. And when we start to say, God, I will, then I truly believe that we can be a church that turns this world upside down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning as this has been a day focused on mission. I pray that every one of us this morning has been impacted by your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit, which would encourage us. The book of Acts is not finished. Continues in you today. And I pray that we would be a part of writing that continuing story. But maybe for some of us today, that passion has grown cold. And we've just come through two years of disengagement, two years where we've isolated from one another, two years where for all kinds of reasons, people have become disconnected. And where for all kinds of reasons, volunteerism, not just in the church space, but in any community space, has just fallen off the radar. But God, we're not called to be volunteers in your church. We're called to be ministers. And Father, forgive us for disengagement. And as we come into a new season, I believe where things are reawakened. There's going to be so many opportunities for us to say, God, I will. God, I will. may that prompting that some of us are feeling right now, may that just grow, may it not fade. May we be intentionally living our lives on mission, looking for those opportunities to love and to serve, to speak, just to be Jesus in our sphere of influence. God, may we truly live our lives on mission for you wake us up God I pray because we've got a world that's hurting and may we all carry that deep conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform firstly our own families our own neighbourhoods our own communities our own workplaces I thank you God that when our natural response is I can't you deal with that And I just pray that we see it's not about us, it's about you. And I live my life on mission, simply being open and available, saying, Holy Spirit, work through me. Like never before, the world needs the church. And may we be part of that continuing story as this morning we live here with a renewed expectation, with a renewed commitment, saying, God. I will. And may we gain a reputation as being people who impact our environment, our community, people who turn the world upside down. May that be said of us for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.